Hi, welcome to the Unexpected Experts podcast. This is the Upload Download, a more laid back conversation about our perspectives on any number of topics as an upload to you and the things we are reading, learning and downloading ourselves. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome to Upload Download. Andrea, say hi. 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 <laughs> oh man. Uh, so we we were just chatting a little bit and kind of shooting ideas back and forth about what we could talk about this week, and uh, I think we're gonna talk about education and maybe the pros and cons of education or positive and negative experiences about education. And that could be anything from like kindergarten all the way to post-secondary to like getting your master's and your doctorate in something too. So mm -hmm. anything and everything between there. And um, Andrea, you, you're you a teacher. I am. Uh, when you're not a mother on Matt leave. I mean, from here on out, I am always a mother. <laughs> this is true. I can never not be a mother now. However, yes, I'm on maternity leave. So yeah, when I'm when, not on when maternity you're not on leave, Matt leave, then I'm an acting teacher. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Then you're an educator. Um, mm -hmm. And you've been a student for a long time. Yeah. Well, some would say too long, but yes. Yes. <laughs> I think probably most of the time that I've known you, you've been in school for something. Yeah, I definitely did not take any breaks. Like high school finished and I went right into post-secondary. So I did not, I did take breaks after a couple of years, like a semester or I don't know if I took a full year. Yeah, I did because I worked full time with um, a home builder for a year. So, and then I went back to it. I just needed like a mental break from school for sure. Just a little pause button. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about you? That. Did you take um, time off? I did. I did like high school and then I took a year. Okay. And no, I guess two years. But I like sort of went to the college that I ended up actually going to, but I just joined the choir because I was mm. such a choir nerd. <laughs> and so I wanted to like sing with a good group of people, which was great. And yeah. I did that for a year and a half and then decided, yeah, I want to study this and like do music. So I did that for three years before the school kind of shut that down. Right. And uh, yeah, they made the move to online. And so that wasn't really a viable option for me to continue. So mm -hmm. I got three years worth of a music degree. Thanks. <laughs> uh, was, there, learned, was it like, available a, to finish the degree or did you just like, did it, you, were you not of. given, I guess it's hard to do a music degree online, but that's, that's exactly the reason I didn't is right. because like I had a hard enough time in the classroom, mm -hmm. let alone doing something online. Right. Um, and staying focused online for music was uh, which was now, kind of out of the scope of possibility for me. And so. now, ironically, you are learning online again. And now I'm learning online. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. <laughs> so all that to say, yeah. Currently, I'm doing a graphic design certificate at SATE, which is the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, and all of the courses for the whole thing are online. And so the space that we're recording this podcast in or I guess the space that I'm recording in yeah um is also my classroom <laughs> <laughs> and was that is it online because of current circumstances or is it normally an online course I don't know I think it I think the way that 
graphic design kind of goes being on a computer anyway, sort of lends itself to being online. Sure. Yeah. But that's definitely been just made necessary by COVID. Right. And so I, I don't think they're having anybody like on campus unless they need to be there. Which, yeah, I feel like that's the case for a lot of different. Yeah. Like I have right now. like my old roommate is uh, taking a business degree at SAIT. And okay. so he's on site for a lot of classes now. Okay. But initially, like when he first started, yeah. he was all online. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I mean, that was a huge thing at the beginning of the year. Not that we need to talk about COVID, but at the beginning of the school year was, um, were schools going to go back to in-person classes or were they going to continue online? And right. they were going to be in-person. And then a few different institutions made a very last minute call to not be in-person. And that was not received well by the public. <laughs> yeah, especially for those students that were hoping to be on campus and then they're like, well, oh, psych. And you actually students have to that be were online. coming, like University of Calgary hosts a lot of international students. And so people yeah. who were booking their flights and had already booked their flights or were already here or whatever. Or so, were already accepted and like student loans had already gone yeah, through. Yeah, a lot of um a lot of negative experiences I think with that. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> I never did online. No, that's not true. I did. I did do online my very last semester um, of my ed degree was online. Okay. Yeah. Was that um, like, what, what was the reason for that? COVID. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. I presented like my final project over zoom. <laughs> oh man. Which is just a weird thing to think about now, but anyways, yeah. I but nailed so it, so it now. doesn't even matter. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I wonder. Okay, I I think maybe we'll maybe we should start with like our initial experience in like grade school and going up into high school and all of that, and like, um, and then that transition into post secondary. So maybe I'll I'll start with my story sure. a little bit, and then you can kind of piggyback off of that. Okay. Um, school for me was always a struggle. I never did well in school. I passed okay, but I never I never got really straight A's. Like I wasn't a straight A student at all. I was definitely like a CD student. Mm. Um, and so for me, like school was a challenge. And I think in about grade five or six, I got like the official ADHD diagnosis, mm. which definitely cleared a lot of stuff up and made sense why I wasn't doing well at school. Um, but having ADHD, like I could not be bothered to focus on anything I didn't care about right. and I didn't care about school. And so it was, it was always a struggle for me being in school. I couldn't focus on anything. Um, so I had, do you remember being diagnosed? Yeah. I remember going to like some, some clinic or some psychiatrist or something and ADHD. And then they talked about medication and I never went on medication only within the last year have I actually decided to medicate. Mm. And only then I'll, I'll only take meds if it's, if I'm really feeling lousy that day, Okay, but 99% of the time I'm able to function with it. I think just because I've learned how to function with it and I've, yeah, You've I've not had to rely on medication yeah. and my, my, I guess, brand of ADHD isn't super, um, like super crazy or right. like out of control. Um, 
but it was still enough that it kept me from getting good marks in school. And so I always felt that pressure and that disappointment in myself. I felt like I was a goldfish that was being asked to climb a tree, you know, Mm. like the system of school that I had was not one that allowed me to learn in the way that I would have liked to have learned right? or in a way that would have been helpful for me. Can you describe that? Like what way did, what way would you define how you did learn versus what way would have been more helpful? Um, Memorizing information for the sake of passing an exam Mm. was always a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way that the system is set up. Right. Um, I would argue what, at least in the school that I went to, and I'm sure there's a lot more advancements in that area since I graduated. Yeah. but yeah, the, like I was talking with some people at work the other day and one of the girls is from Germany. Okay. And we were talking about like she had to take Spanish in school. Hmm. And so she she knows like a little bit of Spanish still. But then I was saying that I took French in school mm-hmm. and I went all the way up to like French 30, which was the mm-hmm. highest French that you could take. And I could... I couldn't tell you <laughs> anything about French anymore. Like I, I'm not able to speak it at all because I never used it. Right. But I took all that information and memorized it for that short term amount of time to be able to write that exam and pass right. the course. So right. that was it. Um, but unless you actually use that information, then that stuff's not going to stick. Right. Totally. I would agree. Yeah. It's hard. I think we definitely our generation. I mean, I'm technically a year older than you or a grade older than you or whatever it is. Yeah. But our... Although I was held back a year, so we could have oh, okay. graduated the same year. Okay. Are you... Thir- yeah, you're 30. Are you turning 32 this year? Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I... It, it was a lot of... Um, you're right, like memorizing and spitting out what you learned. I think, yeah, definitely education has changed a lot over the years. And I think it also depends on who the teacher is too and what style of teaching they will lean towards. But um, now I would say there's a lot of like uh, play-based learning and a lot of learning that um, like hands-on learning. Mm. And so kids have a more, um, I don't even know like how to, maybe like more educational tools at their disposal um i i mean yes and no i think it's just they're just used differently and how the information like we don't i mean you're not testing so much for memorization like matt and i were talking about this a little while ago um my husband is also a teacher he's high school but it's just a little different but um learning like we were talking about social studies specifically and how there's a lot of dates that we would have had to have memorized. Yeah, And it's like, definitely. why, why do we need to know this specific years? And I was like, well, I think in some ways, I think that there is validity to that. Like, I think it's yeah, important like learning when world war two happened. Totally. Right? Like I that's think an important date. It's important. And it's important to know like how some of the stuff that happened was not that long ago. So yeah. to know, to be able to identify that World War II ended in 1944, 40, see, look at me, I don't even know. <laughs> um, but you know, like it wasn't, like that's not that long ago. Like that's, I I don't know. I think in some ways there is, 
definite, um, importance to learning some of those things, but to be able to be tested on that, I don't think is a very fair, um, scope to be tested on. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily important to know that you, I definitely had to go through a lot of dates. Like when I was doing my music degree, Mm -hmm. I had to learn a lot of dates for music history. Right. And like, when was this piece written by Mozart Totally. and what were his years and, you know, all of that kind of information. And it was a lot of, again, just information for the sake of regurgitation. Sure. Yeah. And again, I think it's, I think it's good to know some of those things. Like it's, it's kind of interesting to see like how his music progressed over the years. Totally. But but I think the point is, is why are we testing people on that? Like, why is it important for them to have that ingrained in their brains? And so the way that we test kids now is a lot different. Um, There's actual, um, you know, research and studies gone into what is important to test kids on and why. And I think that that is a huge leap in our education system for sure. But that's yeah. great. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. But I was the I, same way. I, like I, I was, I mean, I had photographic memory as a kid. Um, so it did often come in handy for things like, um, you know, reciting certain things or, you know, if it was a date or if it was like to like the periodic table of elements, like that kind of thing to be able to remember this symbol is with that um, element or that kind of thing. But I wasn't retaining the information. So it's the same that way for sure. Um, And I think, I think for a lot of people in our generation, they would say that once they get to university, that's when their education and that's when their like ability or desire to learn really exceeded because they were finally learning something that was important to them or valuable to them. Um, as opposed to having to learn your eight times tables or, you know, or all of the different French verbs or whatever it is, right? Like you're actually more focused on a subject to be able to dive deep into it and understand like for you understanding some music history or understanding why I don't know what you would have learned at that degree honestly but (laughs) um like I went into behavioral sciences and that was like all sociology and psychology and to me that stuff is like super fascinating because then you understand the ins and outs of people's brains you understand why people do and say the things that they do based off of their personal history or their personal traumas or stuff like that. Um, totally. Yeah. You can identify people who might have autism. Um, I mean, that's not a very good thing to say because you shouldn't be identifying people based off of (laughs) your interactions with them. But when you understand the brains that, um, are involved with autism, um, it becomes a bit, easier to identify if someone could be on the spectrum. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what, what was your experience of like grade school and high school and all of that? I (laughs) most anything to do with my childhood, I have blocked out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) I, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't the type of student in grade school that learning and, um, grades and like it didn't come easy for me like I had to put the work in to be able to do well in school um I did pretty well up until high school and then grade 10 I sort of plummeted and 
dived a bit in my, actually maybe grade 11 in my, uh, grades, like they definitely decreased. Um, I'm trying to think like in, from like K to nine, I probably was like a B's, like an A minuses, like that kind of thing. I mean, we grade people very differently now. Like it's not letter grades anymore. It's all, it's all very different, but, um, Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cause I've, I've been getting my marks from SAIT by the, by the lettering system still. Um, post-secondary still, it still follows the grade system, but how okay. they calculate your grade is also different. Like there's, there's, um, you know, you get a letter, but that letter is anywhere from like, let's say an A, I don't remember anymore, but depending on the university, an A is like, I don't know, 80 to 89% or something like that. And then an A plus would be 89 to, or like 90 to a hundred, or I don't know exactly what the grading system is anymore, but there's, so it's like you get an A minus, but really what percentage did you get in that class? You don't know. So I've never really liked the letter grades. Cause then it's like, am I on the low end of an A minus or the high end of an A minus? Like, like, was I close to getting an A? Yeah, exactly. So, um, but in elementary, it's like they use um, either numbers or just like, it kind of depends on the school division, but um, one to four, there was a one to five. And then a few years ago, they changed it to one to four, which makes it really hard because there's no, like, no, none of that like 0.5 ability to give a kid. You have to kind of say like, they're either needing a lot of work or they're excelling, they're mastering. Like that's a lot of language that's used in divisions that I've worked with, but um, they're, they're at mastery level, which would be a four. So like a four is the highest number that you can get. Um, Yeah. It's very different now. It's very, it's, it's better, but there are still some things that could be, that could make more sense. I think. Right. Like it it could be refined for, to communicate more nuance and more, yeah. more competency totally. one way or another. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of like reporting. Um, I know you had, uh, Sarah, Sarah was the teacher you had on, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. she might have a different experience cause I think she's with Rocky view, but, um, there's a lot of reporting that happens where you, yes, you give a number, but really a lot of your reporting is in that verbiage that you give, like the comments that you give along with your number, um okay and it's a lot about um like there's a lot of reporting that is desired by the school divisions that I've worked with to have information on like the social aspect of your kid a lot of it is to do with the social awareness and how your kid is engaging with their classmates and are they paying attention when lessons are happening what are you seeing in the classroom like that kind of stuff so it's right. very different but um, I definitely remember us having a comment section on our report cards growing up. Yeah. Like, Jameson does not pay attention while in class <laughs> and is constantly distracted and is always chatting with other students. And I'm like, sorry, bro. <laughs> sorry, not I'm social sorry. and I want to hang out with people and uh, I don't care what the teacher is saying. <laughs> so that was always the common thing on my report cards. Like, right. Jameson does not pay attention in class. <laughs> right. But then was there any, was there ever any follow up? Like, was there any conversations that ever happened to do with that kind of stuff? Not really, no. So it was just so kind it was of like, here's our observation theme. and yeah. like, good luck fixing it at home. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Right? Interesting. I think there was some intervention 
maybe here and there, but it, it wasn't anything that ever stuck. Right. Like that was a constant theme throughout my whole school career. Do you remember, <laughs> um, do you remember any like education assistants in your classrooms? Like, was there uh, any other adults? I think I had meetings every month or so for about a year or two that uh, was with like some kind of psychologist as well. Okay. That was more like trying to help me just behavioral? be a better student. And yeah. yeah, like more behavioral work. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I don't know if any of that really stuck. Right. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> um, like, I think I, I didn't either. Um, I mean, I went to a private Christian school and we, it was just like very academic based for sure. Um, right. Which I think there are pros and cons too. Um, but I don't like, I don't remember a lot of people needing extra attention in the classroom. Like everyone was pretty self-sufficient. There wasn't a lot of people who needed extra support. So we didn't have them. Like I, I think there was one student, um, my girlfriends and I talked about it a little while ago. There was one student who was ill, like um, a long-term illness that he had and he was still coming to school. And so he had an aide with him okay, just to support him in other areas. It wasn't really for like behavior management or anything, but like there now right. there are, I get the one school that I worked at, there's probably seven or eight EAs for like four to seven, like grades four to seven. And they sort of rotate between classrooms as needed um, to help depending on what the subject is or depending on who's in that classroom or something like that. So gotcha. it's definitely, there's, yeah, there's lots of things that have changed that it's like, hmm, I wonder what it would have been like for us if we were a student now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, like especially would, would we have for, received the help that we had needed. Yeah. Well, I think like, like for yourself and for like Matt has ADHD as well. He was diagnosed quite early on. Um, I know you guys talked about it on his podcast, but he like, he wasn't on meds and he had a pretty high, um, like his education was pretty highly impacted by his ADHD Sure. And yeah. looking back now, um, on the medication that he's on now, he would have like he was like a '90s kid. I mean, like '90s <laughs> marks wise. <laughs> um, also age range. Also age range. Yes. Um, but he he probably would have continued on with that into higher elementary and high school if he would have been put on medication. Sure. Yeah. Like he, yeah, the focus that he can have now. And it's funny because even just in daily life, like day to day, whatever, like he, he will usually take his medication every day, but he didn't take it on Sunday this weekend. And you could tell. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, he knew it too. He was like, yeah, I didn't take my meds today. And I was like, yeah, you're super helpful. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just flying around. Yeah. So footprints on the ceiling type of day. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There, there's not a whole lot to say about, I remember like, uh, at our school we had what was called the, oh man, the academic achievement wall. Okay. I think that's what it was. And it was where like, if you did really good on an assignment or a project, then it was displayed on this wall. And it was like the whole school, at the time, oh, man. like everyone from K to nine, 
yeah. would all have their stuff on that wall. And I never got my stuff on that wall. <laughs> I feel totally the same way. Like in high school, we had the honor roll. Yeah. Um, where it's like, if you're, if your average that quarter was 80% and up, then you would be on honor roll. And yeah. I never got honor roll. Although, um, so I think you probably remember this too. I never actually walked the stage at my own grad. I know. I, mean, um, I didn't see you walk it. <laughs> <laughs> there were three of us in our, in my class that didn't, um, I don't need to name names, but I was one of them. And it was because of like one quiz that I missed right. in English class that would have bumped my grade up below or above that 49% and they wouldn't bump me up. And so I was pretty salty about it. But that final quarter of grade 12, I got honor roll. Aww. And so it was like kind of a That's so nice. like, suck it. Yeah. <laughs> so like that one time I got honor roll. Well, and even, um, even in that too, like just with the comment of 49%, like Matt is not allowed to fail kids. Like he cannot really? fail. And I don't think elementary you can either. Like you cannot fail a kid. You have to find a way to either help that kid or um, like they, they just cannot, you cannot give a failing mark to a kid. Man, I, okay. That's so different. So like, I'm I don't know, back like, to- cause there's, there's, the, there's that's, and that's, it's so hard because there is the kid who will try, try, try their hardest and they will not make that extra 1%. Like, I'm sure that that was probably yeah. you. And then there's the kid who's just like, well, they can't fail me. So I don't really give a crap right. about yeah. how well or bad I do. Like my teacher can't fail me. Um, but like, it's not, not that kids are thinking this, but it's so hard for a teacher to um, wrap their head around like uh, that idea. I remember Matt texted me, they were on reading week last week. And so he was just monitoring during exams if he was needed um, or he was working catching up on marking and stuff like that. And he texted me one morning, it was like nine 45. So he'd only been there for an hour. And he texted me being like, I have to, um, he's like, you know, it's a long morning when you have to email a parent to say that you've caught their kid plagiarizing. And I'm just Oy. like, it's just, it sucks. Like yeah. that kind of stuff sucks. And kids don't really realize how, like in some ways, how hurtful that is to a teacher because we're trying really hard to give you all of the resources that you need to do well on an assignment and not need to plagiarize. And I feel like some of the time, not all the time, but some of the time, the kid who's plagiarizing is really just like copping out, doesn't really want to put the effort in, but you yeah. have other kids who are like, I really don't know what else to put here. So I'm just going to copy and paste this. And it's, it's, it's hard to distinguish those That's things. That's so tough to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe let's, let's go from like grade school to like post-secondary. Okay. So what did, what did that, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically about like the, like when you're in grade 11 and grade 12 and you're getting asked, like, what are you going to do after grade 12? And totally. like, what school are you going to go to? What do you want to take? What do you want to learn? What, all of that, like that time period mm -hmm. is such a weird time I think in any student's life so what did what did that whole bit look like for you I don't remember oh. <laughs> um I'm just kidding again because you because you just like blocked out the memory of your childhood apparently yeah I did um I have my reasons okay um I like I remember vaguely like I'm you know you see the movies and they're always like going to visit the guidance counselor and 
I, yeah. I do remember like a couple visits just to like make sure that I had enough credits to graduate. Um, talk about what it, what a, you know, application process looks like for post-secondary. But I, I was in this weird position of like my grandma and my mom had both gone to this Bible college. And so I had to continue the generational <laughs> the family legacy. whatever to go to this Bible college, which yeah. I had only intended going there for a year. And then I ended up going for three and actually got a degree out of it. But, um, I, and also like the application process, and I'm sure you probably could relate, but to these small city Bible colleges is just very different from <laughs> what oh, it yeah. is to apply for like it's a like big. You're applying, you're accepted. Yeah, yeah. Like if you have a pulse, yeah. and we see a form with your name on Especially it. Especially the, the two classroom. the two colleges that you and I attended because they're they're <laughs> yeah. very limited on their student population these days. Yeah. So um, it's true. Yeah, it's true. But I, yeah, I mean, I remember the the credits, and you needed enough credits, and you needed like for me, I did not take math 30 in high school, um, because you didn't need it to graduate. And I don't think you yep. still do. Um, I think you need at least math 20. Um, um, when, when I took it, it was math 24, which was like a step down from math 20, but right. it was still a 20. But like level, yeah. Level 20. So, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So like I got the lowest level of math required to graduate. Right. And like, we had like math, um, like AP and apply or a applied right. and pure math were the two right. maths yeah. and the, those don't exist anymore. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. It's like, it's all different. It's a very different <laughs> world now. Um, but yeah, I, so I didn't take math 30 and I went to the first, first class. Um, and I had the same teacher I had in grade 11 and I hated him. I do not like math to begin with. And he was like, <laughs> yeah. He was like the least helpful teacher. Like he didn't, it was like someone reading off of the slides when they're doing a presentation. Like there just was no. Oh, that's brutal. Like no you know? instruction. Yeah. There's no like instruction. Laying there's out no the steps. And yeah, there's nothing so. further. Like I can, I always skipped those classes in university. Cause I was like, if you're just going to read off these slides, like I don't need to be here. You're just wasting my gas to get to school. Yeah, um, totally. And that was kind of my math experience, though not quite the same. So I dropped it, and I didn't take Math 30, um, which bit me in the butt later on in my university life. Um, so I took Math 30 eight years post-secondary, or eight years after high school. Ooh. Dust Man, those cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was hard. I do not recommend it for any high school student listening. <laughs> take your math. Just do it. Um, ironically, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher after I'm done high school. I don't need math <laughs> to get into teaching. And then it took me oh, however psyched. many years to actually go into my teaching degree. But, um, so I took French, I did French cause with the education degree, you could submit your French mark in place of your math mark. Don't ask me how that computes. I have zero clue. doesn't make That's any weird. sense. Um, <laughs> But in universities, especially the ed program at U of C, or at least they did at the time, they would accept your French mark in place of your math mark. So I was like, well, I would way rather take French than I would take math 30. So um, that was really the extent to what I remember. Again, I did not have a normal first three years of post-secondary, so it's hard to compare, I guess. Right, like 
being in a Bible college versus a big place like UFC yeah. or SAIT or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, it's totally different. Like being on a small campus that you can literally throw a football across. Mm-hmm. Like it, I it's do, a totally different experience. I do have a vague memory, and I don't know if I'm making this up or not. <laughs> but I do have a vague memory in, memory in the council, guidance counselor's office where we talked about different careers that okay. would interest me. Um, and But I did not I, – I feel like I remember not having a sweet clue – what exactly like it's scary to pick a career when you're 16 17 18 yeah and assume that that's just going to be the career for the rest of your life because like you said I don't know if that was before we hit record or not but um yeah I think we were talking about it before I hit record you don't know who you are yeah later on in life when you're that age like there's so much maturing and development that happens after secondary school that you just don't get right away so to pick well, your even after university or anything like i'm 31 and i'm still learning more about who i am as a person right yeah you're still learning it's, to be it's mature such it's a... okay <laughs> <laughs> but i'm still learning and growing totally to the person that i'm supposed to be right sure. and the expectation societally that we place on people that young to make a decision that big mm-hmm. to spend money that aggressively mm-hmm. for a degree that may or may not serve them, that may or totally. may not give them a job anymore. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about my dad's story. Like when he graduated high school, he went to SAIT mm-hmm. and he took drafting at SAIT. Okay. And so drafting as an industry is a very up and down kind of thing, which mm-hmm. he found out pretty quick. But through some of his drafting work, he was able to get a job in, at that time it was Canadian Western Natural Gas, which then got bought out by Atco a okay. number of years ago. And so he's he's worked for the gas company ever since and he just retired last year. Wow. So he literally right? so, he did it. He So he did like the out of high school, go to school, get a good job, retire and you're set for the rest of your life. Uh, but and like was in the, the one career. Like he had one career his whole in life. The one career. Yeah. Hmm. Like he worked he worked at Safeway or no co-op. He worked at co-op for a long time. Like stacking shelves when sure. he was in grade school sure and i think he probably still did that working at sate but other but than that once he had well his career figured out and settled and all that kind of stuff he yeah. was like off to, yeah okay. and that's not the way it works anymore no there's you a know, lot you of, don't people, hear of people yeah like going to school for one thing and then they stick in that industry until yeah. they retire yeah. that's not a thing anymore no and so to have that expectation placed on our generation or especially this next generation of kids that are coming out of high school, going into post-secondary, to have that same level of pressure placed on them is unrealistic. I think it's less, I mean, I don't know, because I'm not in those rooms hearing those conversations, but from the kids that I know that have graduated, I do, I think it is, and I don't know if it's, um, the expectation is less on them, or they are just kind of becoming um bigger than their expectations placed on them. Like they're, they're not, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're saying, you know, like, I don't need to, like I, um, uh, Matt's friend who I guess I can call my own friend too. It's a running (laughs) joke because he, this guy's like, I don't know how we have, like, if you think of a Venn diagram, we have like, Matt has his friends. I have my friends. And then there's some friends that are like kind of a bit of a crossover. And this guy would technically be that crossover, but I had never personally met him until 
I married Matt. And even then it took me probably two and a half years to actually be in the same room as him. But anyways, it's just funny. He's always like, I don't know how we didn't cross paths earlier because he knows all of my like very best friends and I'd never met him. But anyways, he has five sons. Um, him and his wife have five sons and they, their oldest is graduating this year. Like he's in grade 12. Um, and they are not, not necessarily encouraging, but maybe encouraging. I don't want to put words where they're not valid. Um, to take a gap year, to take a year off and just sort of like, if you want to go and do a Cape and Ray thing or a YWAM thing, like sweet but like don't worry about like live in sweden yeah like don't worry about picking your career and like sticking to it like that's not necessary at your age like go and get some life experience and i think there's something super valuable about that i was never offered that as a kid um i had different circumstances uh with some family stuff going on that it just wasn't really um, possible, or I didn't think it was very possible at the time to be able to just kind of do what I wanted to do. Um, but I really like that. Like when I think about Parker, oh my gosh, being in grade 12, can't think about that right now. She's nine months, but (laughs) just like some of those kinds of things like that we want to include in our parenting to not make our kids feel like they have to go to university or have to go to university right out of high school. Um, I think it's a huge, it's definitely something that's shifting in our, like in our generation of people or whatever. So. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely had a lot of people just asking me that question and I didn't really have an answer for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that memory sticks out in my mind Mm -hmm. a lot more that I didn't have a proper answer to like satisfy people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I definitely felt pressure from my parents to just pick something mm-hmm. and to go study somewhere. Um, and so like I ended up taking, I guess, two years between actually graduating and then starting right in the music program. Yeah. Um, so I was working a bunch and, you know, I think definitely that experience between and that pause button mm-hmm. on your life between like high school and then post-secondary, I think that's so important. Yeah. What yeah. was the expectation placed on you? Were you, were, was it totally 100% in your court to pay for post-secondary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to pay for everything. Yeah. And so for me, that meant student loans because yeah. I didn't have money. No. Um, yeah. And I'm still, obviously the student loans thing is a whole other conversation and a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah. And especially in the States, I think it's particularly brutal, but mm. um, we're we're certainly not free from the clutches of student. No, student I think it really depends on what education you're going after and where yeah. you're going to get it to. Um, yeah, and and what kind of maybe grants or scholarships are available yeah, to you? Totally. And for me, like not having good marks in school meant I didn't get any scholarships right. or anything. Right. So I had a grant from the Alberta government that they gave out to everybody. Right. And that was it. Yeah. And that was like a thousand bucks a semester. Like totally. it was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember having the conversation with my mom, but I do remember her saying like, I will help you. And I think with the Bible college that I went to, because there was that generational thing, she was like pumped that I was also going. So she wanted to 
encourage that by helping out financially, which, um, as a single mom, I don't really don't know how she did it, but, um, hats off. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a lot that she did that I just will never understand, especially now that I have my own kids and I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but when I decided that I was done with the Bible college and I wanted to pursue either my own adventure or my own, you know, on my own terms, what post-secondary looked like, then that was when I took out student loans. So my last, my final two degrees are thanks to student loans, which gotcha. um, will be paying those off for a long time. Well, yeah, I guess you have 10 years, but um, yeah, student debt is a big one though. It's a, I, I mean, it's hard. I do have moments. My sister-in-law is, um, in school for RMT right now, um, registered massage therapy, and she didn't have any money saved up to do it, but she finally realized that that's what she wanted to do. So she's taken out a student loan and, um, she's talking to me about it and just like, cause some people, my husband included, <laughs> Definitely did not use his student loan for school every time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so just like learning the consequences of that. Um, and my sister-in-law was like, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, getting a new car. And I was like, don't do it. <laughs> like, first of all, you're a student don't right now. Don't put it on that tab. Don't so do having it. a car payment on top of your student loan is just not a good idea. Yeah. Um. But anyways, it's, it's, but it's one of those things, I think, if you don't have the financial means to pay for your education and being educated or getting an education post-secondary is important to you, I think that student loans to an extent are worth it because as someone who moved out and then had to pay for school, I obviously couldn't afford my rent as well as my schooling for that year. So student loans helped both of those. And mm-hmm. I worked full time or not full time, but part time um, during the school year. So it's like, it's one bit of relief, I guess, that you have while you're in school to not have to worry about making all of the payments, all of your bills on time or whatever that may look like. So yeah. I think there are benefits to it, but it certainly sucks on the other end to have to pay. I think the cons definitely outweigh the pros though. Right. In this case. Well, I think there's definitely a lot more negative, especially with stuff like interest rates on top of student loans. Like right. It's pretty aggressive. But that's what I mean on the other side, right? Like I think in the moment yeah. for the education, if getting it is important, I think that it, I'm, I'm grateful that it is something that's available to us. Um, but it's but I not think in the moment that you make that decision to do student loans. I think there's that, there's the desire to go to school for something and then you pick something and then you have to pay for it. And so you're like, okay, I have to do student loans cause I don't have money cause I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think, I think we're not equipped at that age to make that level of a decision that will still impact our future financially for so many more years to come. Like I'm thinking about my own experience that way. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll get a job. Like, it won't be that big a deal. Right. But now I'm like actually dealing with paying that sucker off. Right. And, and you, you don't even, 
at that age, like you don't even realize really what the future is. Right. Right. And I think that's definitely changing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think everyone is different that way too. Like some people are definitely more future thinkers and that's definitely a skill that I don't have. Right. Um, So it's different for everybody, but that was definitely the case for me. I think, yeah. And I I would agree. I don't think that like a 19 year old necessarily understands that getting 20 grand dropped into your bank account. I mean, granted is sweet in the moment, but doesn't like, they don't understand necessarily on the other end that you're, I mean, I think they realize that they're going to have to pay it off, but I don't think people understand interest rates and like how much that can add to the amount that you owe, which yeah. is daunting when you get that bill at the end. And it's like, here's the a grand total of how much you owe from all of the post-secondary that you've done. And you're like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, how smokes. did it add up to that? And yeah, I, I, it's definitely scary for sure. Um, but I mean, ideally you are going to get this degree that will help you get a job and having that job will help you pay off those student loans. So it, it is sort of like a, um, a food chain kind of thing that yes, it does suck. It's not fun to have that much debt looming over your head at the end of your, at the end of your degree. But in the world that we live in, um, it's very hard to just walk into an employer and get a job without having any sort of post-secondary education to credit you to be able to say that you can do that job um, right? to qualify that, you. That whole thing to like having a degree to get you a job, I I feel like, and I'm sure that's still definitely the case for a lot of positions. Like I have a friend who's living in San Francisco and he, he wants to write the bar pretty soon Mm. to practice law Mm -hmm. in California. And so he has to go through school and he has to write that exam to be qualified to teach law. Mm -hmm. Right. So for him, education is like massively important in order to do the thing that he wants to do. But um, for somebody like, I don't know, for somebody like myself working at a place that does shipping like you don't need a degree for that Mm -hmm. and mind you like there is the salary aspect and there is the income aspect like a certain level of qualification should get you a certain amount of money annually um so there's definitely that to consider as well Mm -hmm. but i don't i don't know i'm i'm personally and it's funny that i'm like currently a student um I'm personally more of the mindset that post-secondary education is becoming less relevant and less necessary, Um, especially Mm. in the age right now where all this kind of content, like anything that you want to learn how to do is available for free on the internet. To to an extent, yeah. To an extent. Like there's certainly barriers. If you want to actually practice law, Mm -hmm. you need to go to law school. You need to write the bar. But you can learn all about that kind of stuff on YouTube. Sure. You can learn all about law on YouTube. Um, I mean, that's how I learned 90% of the stuff about how to make a podcast. Sure. It's YouTube yeah. University, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess the information is widely accessible, um, but the ability to become qualified or certified to be able to actually use that information is, yeah. is where the... Um, uh, the advance of going to post-secondary and, and actually getting information from a registered person who is qualified to teach it. Yeah. I also think too, like 
yes, YouTube does give you a lot of information, but also gives you a lot of misinformation. Um, That's true too, for sure. With certain areas of things, right? Like, um, I think there, there is a reason why we have university professors teaching certain things because they obviously have, I mean, the qualification to do it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) But um, it, it's definitely frustrating. I wouldn't say that it's fair to understand that, you know, um, even though you and I can both go onto Canva and create a thing, uh, like a, a logo or a sign or a post or whatever it is that looks totally. just as good as someone who um, does it for a living and we don't get paid for it. Like I, I would say there's definitely a lot of resources um, out there, but I think also those resources are giving people who enjoy doing these things and not necessarily wanting to make a career out of it, giving them the accessibility to still do it, you know, giving the platform, giving them the tools to be able to still do those things. Right. Um, and, and learning all that information in a structured, like yeah. methodical way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, even like as a teacher, like I think one of one of the crazy things in my mind about education and and becoming a teacher is you get put on this um, pay scale and depending on how many years of post-secondary you have versus how many years of teaching experience you have determines how much pay you make annually. Oh, interesting. Um, So it's anywhere from zero, zero years of teaching experience, obviously as a first year teacher that would be where you would sit but you can have anywhere from four to uh six years of post-secondary education to bump up your salary for the first year and then carry you through to the you max out at 10 years so once you've taught for 10 years that's kind of your max salary um but like for me I technically have um let's see (laughs) four five, six, seven, eight, nine years of post-secondary. And I was only qualified for four of those years because of where I got some of the education from um, and some of the classes that I took that just did not register as qualified education. I'm not really sure exactly how the system works. They didn't meet the requirements one way or another. So, I mean, that was quite frustrating for me. Um, not that I knew any of this going into education necessarily. And it wasn't like I did all of that pre post-secondary so that I could get a higher pay scale (laughs) when I finally was like, I want to be a teacher after all. But, um, when I got the letter that said like, yeah, we will okay you for the minimum amount of post-secondary. And I was like, huh? (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was that feels like a slap in the face. Yeah, super frustrating. So yeah, um, yeah. But anyways, we digress and we move on in life. But yeah, um, and we figure it out. But I guess like my you you're talking about your mom, like or sorry, your dad. My mom, um, she went to SAIT for a typing class. Like that was it. She took a typing. Oh wow! It was a type I don't know if it's like a secretarial thing or just like straight up typing class um and she Mavis Beacon or something (laughs) I mean (laughs) they had literal typewriters but um she has 
worked her way up to the kind of job that she has now that if like, because when she started, she's been able to work her way up to that. But now to go into state, I don't even know if they offer a typing class anymore, but if that was like literally what a person came out of state with, there's no way that they would get the kind of job that my mom has. Like it just is not, you just don't hear about that anymore. So, I mean, it's quite interesting how post-secondary education has definitely changed the type of career that a person can get, the type of qualifications needed. And even too, like when you apply for a job, they're always asking for like minimum two years experience. And it's like, well, how can I get that experience if everywhere is looking for a minimum experience? Totally. Yeah. 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 What? Yeah. Like how do I get experience in this field if every job is requiring a minimum? If you need experience to be, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm thinking too, like there's, there's a lot of programs at state about, um, uh, like you can go into mechanical engineering or you can become a millwright and work Mm -hmm. with like lathes and stuff, or you can do construction stuff and, um, learn carpentry and you learn plumbing and you learn electrical and you learn engineering and all those programs are available. Um, but I'm thinking about like when I worked construction, there was a lot of stuff that I learned on site mm. just in the everyday tasks that I had to do, like putting on baseboard and yeah. doing drywall and mudding and taping and painting and tiling and all that stuff. Like I'm sure there's great ways to educate people on that stuff, but a lot of it is just getting your hands like into it yeah, and I, learning, learning in a tactile way, mm-hmm. how to do that skill and how to do that task. Well, and I think that sure. that is probably the difference between like trades and not trades yeah. of, of the work world, workforce world. Yeah. But like what is necessary to work in this field versus what's right. not. But even too, like, again, referencing my education degree, like, there is a huge difference between learning how to teach in a classroom and then going into a classroom and actually putting those skills to practice. hundred percent. When we had practicums, yeah. that first week of practicum, I was like, Oh my Lanta, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's completely different. Like, and even we would get opportunities to teach our peers in school, like when we were students, but that's nothing compared to trying to wrangle 30, whatever, 32 kids yeah. in a classroom. <laughs> It's just chaos. Like when you're teaching adults, quote unquote, teaching adults, like a practice lesson or something like they're sitting there listening or they're just like on their Facebook or whatever, like you don't care. But when you're actually in a classroom teaching kids, there's kids bouncing off of walls. There's kids getting up to go to the bathroom and you have to like learn classroom management. And that's not something that you can be taught in your own class. You've got to figure it out on job, yeah, on site. And I think there is a lot of that when you get into a career too, like totally. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm thinking about like two examples now. Like when I, when I went to school for music, I took a vocal pedagogy class, which taught me how to teach voice lessons. And so when I, when I stopped going to, or when I had like finished school, I started teaching voice lessons and I did that for a year and I wasn't qualified as a teacher to teach those lessons, but I had taken a class in how to teach. And so I knew theoretically what to do. Um, And all my students knew that I wasn't qualified as a teacher, but they were so willing to take lessons. Um, But there is so much that you have to learn on site, like with that student in the room, like 
this student doesn't really know how to carry a tune in a bucket. So we're going to work on pitch mm-hmm. and we're going to work on them recognizing a pitch and being able to sing a pitch mm-hmm. and then doing intervals and then maybe doing a full line and then maybe doing a full song where some people would come in and they would have like three songs picked out and we would just workshop it for that hour. Right. Totally. But then I'm also thinking too, like when I worked at Starbucks, I was a barista trainer. And so I would train people how to make drinks on bar oh, all the time. Fine. So it was really good. I really enjoyed it. but. The real, um, the real test of your ability as a trainer came or was kind of verified or whatever when that person was actually on right. bar, maybe during a morning rush, right. right? And so they're learning and they're trying to figure it out. And you start them off on a slower part of the store. Sure. Like if, if you're in a cafe or a drive through store, like you start them off in the cafe because the cafe is typically slower, right? right? And then you move them up to drive through. Right. But it's... It's like conceptually, this is how you make a latte. Sure. And then you tell, and then you ask them to make a latte and they're like, uh, what do I do with the <laughs> Like, <laughs> right. But it, it, it's, yeah, it's that hands-on learning. It's that being in the space, doing the thing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so much more the case, especially with what you're talking about as an actual teacher. Right. I think too, like the biggest thing that I've learned is like, you can't, even for like teaching someone skills of being a barista, like you cannot blame yourself for anything that goes awry with that student because absolutely you can only yeah. give them so much information. And it's the same as us as, as learners as well. Like in university, you can only get so much information before you actually have to do something with it. And, yeah. and there are kids like, who just will not do anything with it. And that's, I mean, I think it is up to the educator to try and make the learning um, like accessible and interesting and meet those learners where they're at. Like I think for you as a student, you probably would have um, gained a lot of um, skill or benefit. Yeah. From maybe some more hands-on learning as a kid. Totally. Right. Because you're actually getting in there and learning and it becomes interesting because kids, I mean, even like Parker, she's nine months and she's at a point now where like, um, I'm the word is failing me, but, um, Oh, I mean, yeah, just generally with hands-on learning, because when you, um, like it's like a cause and effect reaction. So when, when a kid is, learning about, so in grade five, you learn about electricity and circuits and that kind of thing. And so instead of just giving them this, you know, PowerPoint presentation of how an open circuit, when it closes, that means your light bulb is going to turn on because all of the wires are connecting. You could just give them stuff to actually experiment and see that when this wire and this wire touch, the light turns on. So there's a cause and effect reaction to whatever it is you're learning. And I think kids respond super positively towards that kind of learning because they can actually see it in effect rather than just hear it. And there's certainly topics or subjects that will lend themselves more to that approach, but totally. I mean, really when you're dealing with something like algebra, Mm -hmm. how much hands-on stuff can you really do with that? Right. So it's difficult that way. I mean, you can still learn with like with pieces of things rather than just writing down numbers. So like a lot of math now is taught with giving kids objects. So, you know, the, ones tens and hundreds cubes um so that you can visually see what that looks like so instead of putting it as a 
2D image on a piece of paper, you can actually see in 3D image what that would look like. Um, right. I, I remember having those kind of blocks as kids. Yeah. And that that was, I'm sure that was fine. But when you get into stuff like, um, I don't know, like fractions, I guess fractions is sort of easy, but stuff like polynomials or algebraic equations or any of that like more conceptual math, mm. there's only so much that a physical object in front of you will do to get that information into your head. But even that, having that physical object, I just, I think you're, you're almost creating like a hybrid of learning. Then you're taking that physical object so that you're still learning it with a physical object instead of just writing it on a piece of paper. But it gives those people who are, you know, visual learners or um, kinesthetic learners a chance to be able to play with those objects and manipulate them to right. like actually manipulate the variables in that math equation. So it's still possible and it's definitely explored a lot more now than it was before. Um, because I think people have realized the importance of meeting those different learners where they're at, which is heavily, heavily important or definitely important in a classroom setting for sure. Yeah. I remember being in math and like you look down at your page for like two seconds and then the, the, the teacher's like written 16 more things on the board and you're like, I'm totally lost. I totally. <laughs> I think, well, yeah, like for me, I, I, there's no way I could learn math just by watching things on the board and like copying right. things down that just like, yeah. I will not understand the concepts at all that way. I have to be able to manipulate objects um, to be act like, or, or given like real life circumstances to actually understand variable like fractions or stuff like like i just that was the type of learner i was for sure yeah but okay i'm thinking now like you being a teacher mm -hmm. and maybe this is where we're like wrap up the download bit the upload um, or the yes the upload <laughs> thank you for correcting me on my own podcast <laughs> much appreciated you're welcome this is why we have co-hosts it's great um maybe like as we're wrapping up yeah the upload what would what would you say like as a teacher is something that you're really excited about the future of education? Because um, I'm I'm thinking like we've already talked about a lot of the history of our own experiences in school, um, be it grade school, be it post secondary, all of that. But what other things are you kind of yeah stoked about seeing grow or develop, or the ways that we're learning about the brain, or ways that different people learn, like all of that. Um, I think that, I mean, a huge thing I've seen even just over the last couple of years is just teachers taking into account that students do learn in different ways and like trying to figure out different, like some of the stuff there's, um, oh, there's a website, it's teachers pay teachers and it's like teachers okay. will discover this new way of teaching something or create worksheets that have totally taken off in their classroom and they'll upload them. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes there's a charge, whatever. Um, but just working together as a community to create different ways to actually teach your kids. Um, because you know, they've had a kid with severe autism that did not want to be involved in anything, but when they handed them this sheet, you know, that kid was like, yeah, I'm on board. I want to, I want to figure that out, you know, whatever it right. may be. Um, so like crowdsourcing information from other people in the same industry. Totally. Which I think I like, I think has been around for a long time, but now 
not now, like we've had the internet for a while now, but like yeah, yeah. teachers back in the day, air quotes, um, they would have a lot of things in paper format. So they'd keep like their original copy. And then every year when they came to that unit or that, that, um, worksheet or whatever, they would, um, go and photocopy and make, you know, enough copies for the classroom, but now everything's stored online and digitally. So it's very right. easy to share things. Um, worldwide it's, it's very easy to like go in and make edits if totally. you found that something yeah. last year didn't absolutely. work as well and then yeah. you can update it absolutely yeah. and I think too just like creating different ways like I said before like I think creating different ways for kids to learn like um at one school that I worked at uh in social studies when they were learning about the different regions of Canada they did this like amazing race thing um and it kind oh, cool. of it it sort of um it met a few different things. Like rather than just sitting in social studies class, just sitting in language arts class, just sitting in arts class, it kind of was this one thing that sort of crossed all of those boundaries so that teachers could cross off a few different um, things in their teaching that they needed to do for the year. So you're learning about the regions, you're um, going outside and getting, you know, into nature, that kind of thing. There's a huge, um, pull and push towards, um, including indigenous ways of knowing in your teaching. Um, and so getting outside and, you know, being with the land, like that kind of thing. So, you know, some of the stations that they would have to do included like going to find different leaves or whatever it was. Um, and just like, rather than focusing so much on like, okay, now we've done English for the day. Now we've done social studies. It's like, let's just work on this and, and we'll work on it until the kids are no longer interested in it and then we'll work on something else um so there's I mean and that's kind of perhaps partly how the teacher that I was teaching with that was her methodology of teaching but I really really liked it because it's it's feels way less stressful to try and cross off you know a lot of kids you realize that they don't like doing math at the end of the day on a school day so you fit it somewhere else in the day and Mm, you get to sort of make your own timetable I would assume probably with most schools, that's the case. They kind of give you the freedom to do that. If you are an elementary teacher, you are almost always teaching all of the subjects to your students. So just having the ability to manipulate the schedule to um, respond to the negative effects that have, or that come from having math at the end of the day, because kids are super squirrely and they're just looking at that clock waiting for three yeah. fifteen to come. And they're like, <laughs> I get to go home and eat cheesies before my mom comes home or whatever, you know, like they're, yeah. you've lost the, them. The, the only math they're doing at that point in the day is counting down the minutes till they Absolutely. can go home and eat cheesies. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, like to that. That's brilliant. Like, taking different subjects and combining them together mm-hmm. and like integrated learning mm-hmm. instead of just like segmented, like yeah. this is social studies for this hour. This is science for this hour. Yeah. This is math. And then we go have lunch, right? Totally. Like learning multiple things at the same time. Yeah. And I think for some kids too, that's super helpful because as someone who did not enjoy math, knowing that math was in the next block was like, I, like, I knew I was like, oh man, I am not looking forward yeah, to like next period because you're already I am, stressing out. Yeah. But if yeah. you can integrate it, like you said, into a project or, you know, maybe there's different stations, like a lot of, that's a big thing too, like literacy stations, but maybe in one station, it's like word problems. 
So you're still reading. That's still literacy, but you're actually doing math at the same time. And Joey over there didn't actually know because he's at his literacy station. And so he's not having a panic attack or a meltdown in the middle of class because it's not (laughs) math. Yeah. You know, um, it's more like solving a practical problem. Yeah. So I really appreciate seeing those changes in education that have happened over the years of, of teachers just like, um, realizing that they need to do better at meeting kids where they're at, instead of trying to get that kid to meet them where they're at in their teaching. Um, right. it's a both, it's a, it's a both ways sort of like a relationship that takes both parties to really yeah. invest. Instead of like a, like a top down handing of information totally. from the top down to the yeah. student. Yeah. It's like, how can we both be on the same plane totally. and meet each other where we're at and learn and grow together as a teacher student relationship? Absolutely. And two, creating leaders within your classroom so that your some of your mm, students totally. can actually, some of your top learners in your classroom can go and buddy up with some of those lower learners. And then that frees you up to be able to help that really low learner um, engage with whatever it is you're teaching. Or maybe you have to sure. adapt the learning for that kid because he just is not capable of learning at the same level as his peers. So, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, how about we move into the download? Cool. Um, how about, okay, so I went first last time. Maybe you maybe you go first this time. Okay. Um, download, download. Um, I have a, I guess, read, listen, watch list. Oh, okay. So reading. So like stuff that you're currently rereading and listening to? and Yeah, just currently reading, not rereading. <laughs> Okay. I I hate reading novels for a second time around. Um, but also, you know that I do not like nonfiction books. So This is true. This We've is, talked about this extensively. This is also not a nonfiction <laughs> book that I'm reading. Um, yeah. But I'm enjoying it. It took me... I, I have like a 100-page rule. If I can get past 100 pages and it doesn't engage me, then I'm like, no, not going not gonna to finish it. But if it has me engaged by 100 pages, then I know I'm going to be okay. <laughs> right. That's um, a pretty good rule. I like that. Yeah. It's a good, it's, I feel like, because some authors, they really take a long time to hook you into their book. So um, I have been reading, it's called The Paper Palace. It's okay. just a, a fiction book. It's, I'm not really sure what it's about. Sorry, my daughter is rustling around in her crib and I feel like I just heard a thud upstairs it's like are you okay (laughs) um yeah it's I don't even really know quite what it's about yet but it's it's bouncing back to past timeline and current timeline so it's kind of back and forth um it's the first not world war ii book that I've read in a while I'm definitely obsessed with world war ii fiction books so Um, like a middle-aged dad I'm like a middle-aged dad. <laughs> yeah. That's such a like a a middle-aged dad thing. But like just being obsessed with the world wars. Not oh, okay, not like actual history. I mean, technically there are historical records cuz these authors right, are it's, pretty good at like getting some actual facts in there. But it's like historically adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm reading. I think I hear that Matt's coming home. Luna's going crazy, our dog. So I have a feeling Matt will be like, why is our kid just left in our crib? 
She just Sorry, Matt. she only woke up like 15 minutes ago, so it's fine. It's um fine. uh listening. I'm still listening to the Birds Papaya podcast. I just listened to an episode, I don't know how recent it was, but it was with two celebrities, which I'm like, oh, if I could get a celebrity on this podcast, I think I would probably melt into a puddle. Um <laughs> That's our next goal. Yeah, seriously. Because I, I just want to see what would happen there. I think that'd be fun. I will. I will melt into a puddle. I will not <laughs> be able to get words out nearly as well as what I do right now. So that's saying something because sometimes I'm really struggling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they had uh, um, Sarah, Nicole had Shanae Grimes and Anna, Anna Lynn Accord. So they are two celebrities from the new version of 90210. Oh, okay. Um, which I was like, how is she composing herself right now? She obviously has celebrities on quite frequently. So obviously, but I would be fangirling so hard. <laughs> she's used to it. Uh, yeah. She's like, ah, celebs, whatever. <laughs> um, yes. But they were talking about um, their friendship. It was actually quite interesting. Shanae Grimes is now a mother of two and Annalyn is not a mother. She's just a single lady loving her life and really um, having spent a lot of time getting to know herself and all that kind of stuff. And so they have their own podcast. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, oh, it's called Unzipped, which was a play on the zip code of 90210, the show that they were both on. Oh, clever. clever very clever. Yeah. Um, but they're just talking about how their friendship, like how to, it's very difficult to maintain a really good friendship with someone who is living a very different, um, not lifestyle, but just like in a very different part of life, like having two kids, being a mom, like that kind of stuff. It makes you a very different person than someone who gets to just go and travel by themselves, enjoy like, you know, meditation, that that's just their two stories um sort of paraphrased but um just like the importance of making that time and and having different perspectives and it makes me want to go and listen to their podcast because I'm sure that there's lots of amazing stuff on there but yeah that was that was the latest listen that I had um and then watching uh big into crime shows Oh, cool. Um, okay, okay. And we just finished, it's called Shetland. It's a British um, crime show. So it actually takes place in, well, in Shetland, but in Scotland. Um, so we just finished that and we switched over to, it's called Broadchurch. Oh, yes. I've heard of that one because uh, David Tennant is yes. in that, right? Yeah. 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 He is He's brilliant. I so love good. Tennant. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't know. Matt was like, Oh yeah, David Tennant. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And he's like, Doctor Who? And I was like, No. Yeah. <laughs> that was my introduction to him too. Uh, um, he also played the villain on Jessica Jones on the first season. I've never watched that chillingly one. Either. Good. Okay. He's very good. He's really good. I I'm really enjoying it. We yeah. there's like six or seven episodes in a season, maybe eight. Um, and we flew through the first season. <laughs> cool. Embarrassingly fast. Um so nice. very good very very good show if you like any sort of british crime it's very good and also um the lady who played the second queen in the crown um so just the previous queen to the her, the lady that's playing her now i can't remember her name but she's okay. also in the show plays opposite um david Tennant's character so it's very good cool you should check it out it's on 
Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on yeah. Netflix. I should add that one to my list. You should. Because I've been wanting to watch it for a while. Very good. I really like David Tennant. Uh-huh. This is the funny thing. My mom is like, yeah, you guys should watch Broadchurch. You'd really like it. And I'm always like, mm, mom. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. then we started watching it and I was like, ugh, she was right. <laughs> Mother knows best. Anyways. <laughs> nice. Your turn. Um, what is, what is my download? Uh, let's see. Um, you had I different just, ones than me. Actually, what's that you had different ones than me i did read listen watch you had i have i have more like what i've been drinking what i've been watching what i've been listening to and then reading okay so only so one extra I had, than me. okay so i had i actually while we were having this conversation i was sipping on a mug of I tea noticed. which was the the cardamom french toast tea from mm. david's tea and ooh, if it's not if it's not like drinking cinnamon toast crunch is it it's really tasty is it a black tea yeah it's a black tea you should try it as a latte I definitely will. Yeah. I'm going to bring it to work and do that. Yeah. For sure. It was, it was really tasty. Um, that nice, like sugary mm-hmm. kind of cinnamon sweetness, but the cardamom gives it such a great little, little, uh, punch too. Totally. It's really nice. Um, I bought a bottle of whiskey a few weeks ago called Kill Bagan, and it's a, it's their single pot still. And is it ever <laughs> good? All that I got on the nose of it was just like fresh fruit like berries and apples oh. and oh it was so good but um it was voted like the number eight best whiskey in the world of like 2021 or wow. something um on some list like some pretty prestigious list so where, and it was pretty affordable i got it for like 60 bucks where is it made it's in ireland oh nice my people yeah, so it's, it's an irish whiskey <laughs> and is it ever phenomenal Tasty would treats. 10 out of 10 would recommend i'm not a whiskey drinker but i'll let matt well, I know, know matt is i know i'll let him so know kill we'll like pass it on kill bagan kill, kill bagan. bagan yeah k-i-l-b-e-g-g-a-n kill bagan single pot still it was top shelf would recommend okay um as far as what i've been watching last night i got home oh actually yesterday i was out with um our friend Des uh-huh. and Shannon and her daughter Maddie, and we went and watched Sing Two, and it was so fun. Yeah, it was such a fun movie. We watched that the other day. Yeah, I would it's definitely good. recommend that one. That's it was very good. good. Um, but last night, after getting home, I decided to watch Getting Curious. It just came out, I think, yesterday. Jonathan Van Ness on Netflix, and it's yeah, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Yes, yes. And it was really good. The first episode was all about bugs. Okay. And it was like, are bugs gorgeous or gross? <laughs> and he kind of went through and like, oh, this bug is gorgeous. And this one is gross. And these ones are really cool, but these <laughs> ones are not so great. And it was really, it was a really interesting deep dive. So like the premise of the show is he wants to get more educated about kind of anything. So he's okay. curious about a certain subject. And so Cute. the first episode was, yeah, bugs, insects, spiders, okay. all of it. It was very good. And then watching that, I was like, oh, I want to watch the new season of Queer Eye. And so I watched <laughs> I watched three episodes Amazing. last night of the of the new season of Queer Eye in Texas. And I cried a few times. It was It's very easy beautiful. to do that in that show for sure. I love that show so much. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. So this new season in Texas has been pretty fun. Interesting. Um I finished watching The Witcher as well. That was a new one that just came out a little while ago. 
It was the second season of The Witcher. So that's with like Henry Cavill. Okay. He plays this this character, Geralt of Rivia. Okay. And um it was it was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. I've not watched that one. It's it's quite the show. The first season is really it, it's a bit of like a time um like the first episode happens at a certain point in the story and subsequent episodes happen at different points in the story. So I had to rewatch a bunch of YouTube videos to figure out what the plot of that first season was mm-hmm. to like go into the second season. But mm-hmm. second one was way more like this is the start point, And then the end of the season was the end point of the whole story there. Okay. So that was good. And then I watched uh, the big Lebowski last weekend too, Big Lebowski, uh, which I had never seen, but it was either. like, it's one of these legendary like Coen brothers movies. Okay. And two of the people at work said, you have to watch the Lebowski. And so I said, <laughs> okay, I'll do it. So it was very interesting. Nice. Um, what you reading? Two, uh, what am I reading? I've been reading this. Um, I'm going to show you on camera, but the other people won't see. It's called oh, the little book of Higa. Yeah. Or Huga or Higa. Uh, Huga. And it's, such a great little book. Des actually got it for me for Christmas. Cute. And it's uh the subtitle here is The Danish Way to Live Well. Yes. So um is it like inspirational kind of book? It's more it's more like how to live your life in a way that every aspect of your life brings you happiness. Oh, I like that. And I am here for it. Like everything that I buy from my place, um, if it's like even the desk that I'm sitting at right now is like bamboo. Yeah. I have a light in the background here. That's a nice warm light. And at night I'll turn off all the led lights in the house and just have like incandescent low light, um, kind of dusk warmth. Oh, and you've started lighting more candles too. Yeah. 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 I've been burning tons of candles. So anything like that, just creating, a cozy, warm, inviting, welcoming space that you can be comfortable in, that mm-hmm. you can relax in. Um, having a cup of tea or like having a, you know, eating a chocolate bar or anything like that. Anything that brings you warmth and well-being and coziness into your life. And that can be with friends. Like that's a very big part of it actually is being, is doing that with other people too. Mm-hmm. But would recommend. Thanks. It's been fun. Um, and then my two my two music downloads lately have been a band called Sleep Token. Okay. And they are a really unique group. They're from the UK, but all the members are anonymous. So it's an anonymous music collective, I think is what they refer to themselves as. And so they're a band and they have two albums out, mm-hmm. but nobody knows who the members of the band are. Huh. And nobody. And they did that intentionally so that the music that they create will speak, speak for, for itself. itself. Yeah, okay. Okay. Which I love that. That's a cool idea. Um, their newest album has been my like go-to for the last little while. It's called This Place Will Become Your Tomb. Okay. Do and you have any idea as to who any of the artists might be? No, I have no clue. Hmm. I have no sweet clue. The vocalist especially, his voice is so unique but I really like it. And sorry, it was called what? This Place Will Become Your Tomb is the name of the album, and the band is Sleep Token. Sleep Token. Yeah. It's more like it's in the metal category, but they have a lot. Like there is so much range on this album. They have a song that's just vocals, Hmm. and it's like his vocal just 
built into like a synth line. Mm-hmm. It's very intriguing. It's, it's a beautiful album. Um, and then the other album that I've really been getting into is the newest album from Under Oath mm. called Voyeurist. Mm-hmm. And that album friggin' smacks. It's so good. I love it. Awesome. Um, other than that, I think, yeah, that's that's my download. Cool. So there we go. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. I got to cool. go get gotta a kid go, up from bed. So go take care of your kid yeah. and your husband. And I, your he's dog. not home, I guess. So she's still in bed. Oh, okay. I should go get her. Cool. <laughs> well, it seems like as good a place to end as any. <laughs> yes. It's been a slice, as per usual. It's been a slice. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, If you have any ideas, if anyone listening has any ideas about topics that they would like to hear us discuss as well, Mm -hmm. definitely let us know. Send us an email, unexpectedexperts at gmail.com. Send us a a message on Instagram. Yeah, we're definitely... experts. Oh, sorry. Oh no, you go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I was just finishing. We are we are interested in diving into some single topics as well as any more versus ideas. So either or if you want lots of information on one episode, then we could definitely um do a oh Matt is home. There's legs in the nursery. <laughs> oh <laughs> um we could do like a um uh he distracted me <laughs> we could do a you know a multi-feature episode or something like that so if there is room and necessary to kind of go further in like i feel like we could probably talk more about education and our viewpoints on it but definitely um, yeah we will potentially be interviewing some other people to also hit on some education stuff so stay tuned for that yeah yeah, if you have ideas for us to do like a this versus that episode or a single deep dive into whatever topic, let us know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, cool. I think that's it. All righty. Ready to go take care of your kid. Yeah, I guess I should. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>